Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. It's Thursday, January 6th. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. Shortly after Scott Anders was named to the top post at the St. Louis County Jail, two corrections officers were assaulted. But he says a pay raise and new training have made the jail safer. And we're bringing in some experts to help uh, develop additional training so that we can continue to make that an ongoing process. Anders speaks with St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Littman about the county's Department of Justice Services in just a few minutes. St. Louis healthcare leaders say COVID-19 hospitalizations and daily admissions have again hit a record. St. Louis Public Radio's Sarah Fenton reports the surge comes as the region's health systems cope with an unprecedented staff shortage. Area hospitals on Monday admitted more than 200 COVID-19 patients, a new daily record. BJC Healthcare, SSM Health, St. Luke's, and Mercy Hospital officials say they've begun canceling non-urgent medical procedures. They're also reassigning administrative staff to care for COVID-19 patients, even if they don't usually work in clinical settings. Dr. Amina Akhtar is the chief medical officer at Mercy Hospital South. She says more employees are unable to come into work because they need to quarantine or care for their family. There is no rescue bus full of labor coming, so we're all having to look internally and understand how we can use the people who we have. Akhtar says some people visiting the emergency department could wait hours or even days to get a hospital bed. I'm Sarah Fenton, St. Louis Public Radio. Missouri's attorney general is following through on his statement to sue St. Louis County over a new mask mandate. Eric Schmidt has announced on social media that a lawsuit has been filed. The legal action comes after the county council this week passed a mask order to slow the spread of COVID-19. Schmidt says that mandate is illegal, adding residents can make such decisions for themselves. Missouri Governor Mike Parson has let a state of emergency expire, even though the number of COVID cases continues to climb. One consequence of that decision could be addressed in the just-started legislative session. St. Louis Public Radio's Sarah Kellogg reports. Missouri has seen a recent spike in not only COVID-19 cases, but also hospitalizations. Despite the recent state of the pandemic, Missouri's emergency order is no longer in effect. Parson allowed the order, which he first issued in March of 2020, to expire on Friday with no plans to renew it. Parson said one reason for implementing the order in the first place was to waive regulations that hindered addressing the pandemic. Parson believes some of those regulations can be addressed by lawmakers. They're going to be able to take action on those issues if they so want. But an executive order or emergency order is not ever meant to stay in place for long, long periods of time. Parson believes as the pandemic continues, Missouri will have to take more of a secondary supportive role because the coronavirus will not be going away anytime soon. I'm Sarah Kellogg, St. Louis Public Radio. St. Louis's Major League Soccer team has its first head coach. St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum reports on what Bradley Carnell hopes to achieve at St. Louis City SC. Carnell is a South African native who is an assistant head coach for the New York Red Bulls. He has an extensive playing career, which includes 42 appearances for South Africa's national team. In a press conference announcing his hiring, Carnell expressed excitement about leading St. Louis City SC into the 2023 season. We can use this year to build up the platform, scout the right players, um, which are crucial elements and key pillar uh, milestones uh, to build a successful product and, and really an energized style of play come 2023. In addition to being an assistant head coach, 
Carnell was the interim coach for the New York Red Bulls for some of the 2020 season. I'm Jason Rosenbaum, St. Louis Public Radio. Scott Anders came to the St. Louis County Department of Justice Services from the federal probation system. He says that experience taught him the importance of people learning the necessary skills to re-enter society. Anders tells St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman that he will keep a similar focus as the department's acting director. We have many people that come through the criminal justice system and uh, continue to commit new offenses when they're released. And so just really uh, affirms the importance of making sure that there is programming and services so that as soon as possible after arrest, we can begin to work with people in terms of decision making and making sure that they have tools so that when they decide that they want to make changes, that they can do that and be successful when they reenter back into the community. And the majority of people are are released back to the community. You are essentially the fourth leader of the Department of Justice Services in two years. How will you bring a sense of stability to that department? I think as we're making changes, it's important to make sure that staff have the training that's needed so that we can continue to develop leaders and, and leadership skills of the staff here and the management team. There recently was a pay increase, so that's helping us. I think the more engaged that we have the staff in in uh, working together and, and seeing the, the success of these programs that we're initiating now, a lot of those things uh, are not only important for the residents, but important for the staff in terms of being able to see the difference that they can make. The funding for that raise currently comes from the Federal American Rescue Plan Act dollars, which will not be a permanent source of funding. How will you work to maintain these raises in future budgets? While we were short-staffed, a lot of the staff were having to work overtime, which was very costly to the county. And so just by hiring and retaining the staff that are needed, we'll be able to reduce our overtime expenses, which will help cover those costs. And as we begin to be more efficient just in terms of how we're scheduling and in terms of how we're accessing grants, all of those types of things will help us operate more efficiently and and ultimately be able to cover the cost of that moving forward. What steps is the department taking to contain a potential surge of cases with Omicron? We work very hard to make sure when people are coming into the jail that they're Uh, housed separately, and we're continuing to to provide education, and having the county's health department here also helps just in terms of being able to make sure that residents are vaccinated and that we have adequate testing. One of the other things that the coronavirus pandemic has done is lead to a backlog in the courts, and that's leading to longer jail stays. What difficulties is that presented to you and to your corrections officers at managing the jail population? It's been challenging the last year and a half. The population has really moved toward about two-thirds of the population being here for violent crimes. At the same time, we've been looking at how we can find release plans for people that are lower risk and uh, that may not be able to post bond or may not have a home plan. So we've implemented a GPS program, and we uh, also have a ministerial bond program that pretrial can request people be released to with supervision of a mentor. So we're looking at creative ways to uh, manage that from both sides. How are some of the changes you pledged to make after those two assaults on corrections officers going? It's going very well. The day after the second assault, we implemented a policy to 
require two officers in each pod when residents were out. We also have been holding defensive tactics training for officers, and we're bringing in uh, some experts to help uh, develop additional training so that we can continue to make that an ongoing process for staff. We uh, also are addressing things that, that we can reduce the amount of drugs that are being used inside the facilities. We're addressing this from a variety of different angles. So safety is a number one priority for us here now. Negotiating the politics of St. Louis County can be a bit of a minefield. How do you view your relationship with those who will ultimately be responsible for helping you secure the grants and provide you the budget necessary to run the Department of Justice Services in the way that you would like to run it? We have excellent relationships and uh, great support in terms of addressing the needs here at the jail. And uh, so I, I, I think continuing to make sure that they're aware of needs that we have, the reasons behind that and uh, and updating on our progress, I think is really important just to maintaining that momentum that we have now. That was St. Louis County Department of Justice Services Acting Director Scott Anders speaking with St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman. Our Fred Ehrlich edited that report. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. Before wrapping up, today marks one year since the insurrection at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen by emboldened radical left Democrats, which is what they're doing, and stolen by the fake news media. That's what they've done and what they're doing. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. Oh, meanwhile... Up on the steps of the backside of the Capitol, we're seeing protesters overcome the police. The police are now running back into the Capitol building. This is an NBC News special report. And breaking news tonight, the deadly siege on Congress as an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We've seen shocking images of chaos, rioters rushing past barricades and police up the Capitol steps, forcing their way inside both the House and the Senate evacuated. Just told that there has been tear gas in the rotunda and we're being instructed uh, to each of us get a gas mask that are under our seats. We tore through the scaffolding, through flashbangs and tear gas and blitzed our way in through all the chambers, just trying to get get into Congress or whoever we could get into and tell them that we need some kind of investigation into this. And what ends up happening is someone might have ended up dead. And that's not the kind of government we can have. I call on President Trump to go on national television now to fulfill his oath and defend the Constitution and demand an end to this siege. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel. But go home and go home in peace. Today was a dark day in the history of the United States Capitol. Vice President Pence reopens the Senate. Let's get back to work. And Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell makes a statement. The United States Senate will not be intimidated. We will not be kept out of this chamber by thugs, mobs, or threats. 
Sounds from one year ago today in Washington. A big thanks to St. Louis Public Radio's Kayla Drake, who put that together for St. Louis on the Air. I'm Wayne Pratt. This has been The Gateway. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.